John chapter 4, begin reading in verse 46. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. The nobleman saith unto him, sir, come down ere my child die. Jesus saith unto him, go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth. And himself believed and his whole house. This is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. If you remember a few weeks ago, I preached out of John chapter 2 and uh, the miracle of Jesus turning water into wine. And I made the statement and I'll, and I'll make the statement again. Uh, John's recording or account of Jesus' life is different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We call Matthew, Mark, and Luke in theology, we call them the synoptic gospels because they are very similar. Uh, they, all, they all look at Jesus in a comparable sense. Uh, Matthew looks at Jesus as a king. Uh, Mark looks at Jesus as a man. And Luke looks at Jesus as a servant. But John is altogether different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke because he looks at Jesus in a non-comparable sense when he says Jesus is God. Because really, who can you compare God to? Right? You can always compare kings. You can compare men. You can compare servants. But you can't compare anybody to God. And so John starts out his account of Jesus before Mary. Because you do realize Jesus was there before Mary was there. (laughs) And so he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. And he spends the next entirety of the book actually expounding and proving John 1, 1, that in the beginning was the word and that Jesus was God. And so you'll find accounts in the book of John different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke because John spends his time proving that Jesus is God and he records things that only God can do. And there's there's some things tonight, folks, that only God can do. Do you understand that? I think you do. I think you do. We uh, we understand that. And so, uh, and and John, John uses, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke uses the word miracle, but John uses the word signs. That's what he uses instead of miracles because he wants us to be, be secure that the, what Jesus does always points back to God. Because we don't want to focus on the miracle. We want to focus on where the miracle came from. And so that's what John does. And so Jesus did everything, excuse me, John recorded everything that God can do. And so we have this story that I read to you. 
I haven't heard a lot of messages about it. I'm, I, I've heard some over the years, but this, uh, this account is very, very interesting to me. And this man that remained nameless, but John put the most important part in there, the fact that he was a certain nobleman. And we'll get to that here in just a minute because that's very important. And so we understand that his son was at the point of death. And we know that he hears that Jesus is coming back into Cana. And so he makes the trip from where he is at to Cana. It was, uh, if I, my my uh, research is correct. He, he was going about 24 miles to get to where Jesus was at. But he understood and knew that Jesus was able to do something for his son. And so he goes to where Jesus is at and we know that he goes this 24 miles, he meets Jesus and he says, I want you to come to where my son is at because he is at the point of death. Basically saying, I want you to do something for him. And of course, Jesus says, go back home, thy son liveth. And so we know that he goes back home and when he gets back home, his servants meet him about halfway and says, thy, thy son liveth. And you notice that the man didn't rejoice. He wasn't excited. All he wanted to know is what time did it happen? <laughs> and they told him, oh, it was about one o'clock yesterday. That was the seventh hour. That's what time it was. It was about one o'clock yesterday. And somehow, some way, he must have had an Apple watch at the time. And he must have put that and recorded it down and made a, a bookmark on it. Because he put down on his bookmark, one o'clock, that Jesus said, my son's going to be okay. And when his servant said it was one o'clock, he said, you know what? That's the very same time that Jesus said my son was going to be okay. And we understood he takes the message back and, and his entire house is converted because this man went to Jesus. Jesus did the miracle. But notice that Jesus didn't go to his house. All he did was say the word and all that man needed was a word from God. And I don't know if you're like me. Oh, I feel good tonight. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes we get situations and we don't need a prayer cloth we don't need someone to come and visit us and those things are fine and those things are great but sometimes all we need is a word from the Lord and when we get a word from the Lord that's all we need to believe that he is able to do what he said he would do well that's the story let's rewind and break it down first of all I want you to notice the sacrifice the sacrifice that this father made. Remember I said that he walked 24 miles. He went, to, I'm not sure if he walked, but uh, he, I'm sure he had a noble steed to take him to where he was, was going. He was a nobleman. So however he got, it was 24 miles. That's about the same miles it is from McDermott to here on, when I come to church. But I've got a Chevy Silverado and I'm sure he did not have that. What I'm saying is it took him a little longer than what we would take to get there. But that wasn't a sacrifice because you'll go any length you can to make sure your kids are gonna be okay. <laughs> There's nothing worse than when your kids are sick. There's nothing worse when your kids are dying. There's nothing worse than see your flesh and blood needing help and you can't get help for him. But that wasn't a sacrifice. The sacrifice comes when we understand who he was. He was a nobleman. 
Now we read over that and we think, oh yeah, there must be someone of prominence. But you have to understand, this nobleman meant that he was a part of, he was an official ruler in the king's court. The king at that time was Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was the son of Herod the Great. You might remember Herod the Great. He's found in Matthew chapter 2. He was responsible for the genocide to try to kill Jesus Christ. An evil man trying to kill Jesus before he could even get out and do, and do what, he's, you know, what he was uh, prophesied to do. Herod Antipas was his son. He couldn't kill Jesus, but he tried to kill everyone that was a follower of Christ. Herod Antipas was the guy that beheaded John the Baptist. So what I'm saying is this nobleman was a ruler and an official in the court of Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas hated Jesus. He hated anything to do with Jesus. And so the sacrifice this nobleman made was the fact that he went against his boss's orders and went to where Jesus was at. This meant that he would have lost his life if his boss found out that he would have went to find Jesus to get help from Jesus. That's where the sacrifice came from. But he understood, my life is worth nothing if my son dies. It's worth it to me to sacrifice to make sure my son will stay alive. And what I'm trying to tell you tonight is, folks, listen, it's up to us as men and women of God to understand that our kids are dying. And I'm not talking physical disease. I'm talking spiritual disease and the only thing that's going to help them and save them from a life of the living in hell is the fact that we must die out to self and die out to our own desire, die out to our own lust and thank God understand that they are worth it. We must give of ourselves to make sure our kids stay alive. Amen. And this was, this was emphatically in my spirit over the last few days. Last night I stood up there and, and uh, they asked me to, to take care of the, uh, not take care of the Vespers, but to close them out to make sure things are going smoothly. And I stood up there on stage and was just looking at these young people, uh, around 75, 76 young people just coming and worshiping God and standing to their feet and, and just crying. But kids that I don't see a lot of emotion out of uh, generally were just bawling their eyes out and lifting their hands to God, coming to an altar and praying, asking God for help, nailing things to a cross. And I was like, God help us. God help us if we do anything to squelch that spirit in those young people. Folks, listen, that's what our kids need more than a ball game, more than anything in this world. What they need is a dose of the Holy Spirit to help them. That's what's going to take them. That's what's going to get them through when times get tough. When it comes to crisis moments, a medal around their neck ain't going to get them through it. But knowing Jesus is why I feel the Lord tonight. Knowing Jesus is what's going to be worth it. Hallelujah. I'm going to trip over that cord. Hallelujah. They're worth it. They're worth it. I see young children, four, five, six years old, singing, lifting their hands to God. And I say, how dare we do anything? 
how dare we do anything to come against those precious children. They can't fight the devil. They can't. They don't have the strength or the knowledge to do it, but we have to do it for them. And this nobleman said, my son is dying and I'll do whatever it takes, even if it takes my own life to make sure my son lives. Hallelujah. He made the sacrifice and we must do what it takes to make sure our kids stay alive. Because if our kids are in trouble, that means a part of me is in trouble. That's the way we should feel. And I'm just not talking about my Abby or my Alex. I'm talking about every one of them. Every one of them. I have to feel like they're my kids. Because when we start believing and, and understanding and praying for them like they're our children, then when they're hurting, when they're carrying a load, when they're facing temptation, we face it with them. And we must, we must be there for them and sacrifice for them. Listen, we can accumulate. We can leave them an inheritance. We can do things the right way, stocks, bonds, do everything we can to leave them with a nice living when we die and pass along. But that's not what it's about. It's not about what we accumulate. It's about what we give up is what really matters. Sacrifice your time. Sacrifice your effort. Sacrifice your prayer. Sacrifice your time fasting and praying. Make sure our kids stay alive. Every one of them are worth it. Amen? Amen. Sacrifice. He sacrificed. Notice, secondly, the strength, his strength, this father's strength. Listen, if he made the trip 24 miles at risk of losing his own life to get to Jesus, that means he had to know Jesus could heal his son before his son even got sick. Somewhere along the line, he had heard about what Jesus could do. So would you not agree? Would you not agree that he knew something about Jesus? Would you agree that? But it took his son getting sick. And the providence of God allowing his son to get sick before he realized that he needed Jesus. And see, that's where his real strength came from. His strength did not come from his name. His strength did not come from his notoriety. His strength did not come from his position and power in the king's court. His real strength came when he realized that he couldn't do it without Jesus in his life. It's wonderful that you know Jesus. It's wonderful that you know about him. It's wonderful that you've heard what he can do. But do you understand that you cannot make it without him in your life? You can know about him, but you may not know him. And there's a big difference. There's thousands and millions of people, tens of thousands in this county alone that know about Jesus, but they don't know him. 
Oh, sure, when a crisis comes and they'll put a verse on Facebook, they'll put it on Instagram and they'll say, I need your prayers, but they are far from God. They don't know nothing about God. But sometimes the providence of God will allow us to go through a circumstance or a trial or a crisis to help us to realize we cannot make it without the Lord. Because there are only, there are some things that only God can do in our lives. We have to know that we need the Lord. And it didn't matter how strong, it don't matter how strong you think you are. There's going to be times in your life where you absolutely need Jesus. I don't care how how great you are as an accountant or a financial planner or a manager. There's going to be times when you need Jesus to take care of your pocketbook. (laughs) There's going to be times when you come into a financial crisis and you're going to need God. I don't care how strong you think you are. You may be a counselor. You may be a teacher. You may be able to help others. But there's going to be times when you're going to be under a load and you're going to need Jesus. I don't care how long you've been preaching the word. I don't care how long you've been singing the songs. I don't care how long you travel, how many miles you travel, Michael. There's going to be times when you absolutely need Jesus. And we can't do it ourselves. He knew about God, but he didn't know him. And it wasn't until God allowed his son to be sick before he realized, I got to get to Jesus. Some of you better be thankful. Some of you can lift your hands tonight and you can testify to the fact that if it wasn't for a crisis in your life, you would have never known Jesus like you know him now. And you can sit here and you can say it was awful. I had to go through it. But I'm so thankful that I did because without him, I would have never known that I needed him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> God has a way to remind us sometimes that we need him. Because just as much as he has blessed you, sometimes he can shut the spigot off. And say, you're trusting in all the things that I've given you. Let me take them away and see who you're going to trust in now. I'm thankful, though, that really he's all we need to begin with. That's where our real strength comes, is knowing him. The sacrifice, the strength. That was the introduction. Let me get to the heart of the message. The submission. Look at the submission. Look at verse 49 again with me. He says, the nobleman saith unto him, sir, come down ere my child die. That word ere just means before. He said, I want you to come down to my house before my child dies. I want you to come down to my house. Please come down to my house. It's 24 miles, but come down to my house before my child dies. You notice Jesus says in verse 50, you're going back down to your house. Your boy's going to be okay. Jesus, come down to my house. Because my son's dying. Jesus said, you should go back home. Your son's going to be all right. You know why Jesus did that? Because you can't tell Jesus what to do. I mean, I I appreciate the fact that his son was sick. 
And I appreciate the fact that he needed help. But in times of crisis, you don't tell Jesus how to do his job. He said, come down to my house. My son's dying. He says, you ain't tell me what to do. You go back home and I want to show you what I can do. <laughs> he didn't mind not said it that way, but I'm, you know. You don't decide your miracle. You can't tell Jesus when or what or how to do what he wants to do. He's in control. So this teaches us some things. It teaches us that when God, he was trying to get this this gentleman's faith to expand, right? Because he knows about Jesus. Now he knows he needs Jesus. So now Jesus has to allow him to understand who he really is. And so he's trying to expand his faith. And when Jesus expands your faith, he will first of all begin the process to expand your faith. You remember when Noah was building an ark? Noah didn't write the blueprints. God started that. When David was to be anointed the king of Israel, David didn't start that. God started that. See? When, when, when Mary was told by the angel that you're going to give birth to the son of God, Mary had nothing to do with it. God started that. When Paul the apostle went from Saul to Paul, Paul, Saul did not have anything to do with that. Jesus started that. So what I'm trying to tell you is you don't say or tell God when he wants to expand your faith. He will begin that process. He'll not only begin that process, but he will block your process. This gentleman had in his mind how he thought it was going to go. He thought, you know what? I've got an idea. I want to go to where he's at. And because he knows where I'm coming from, I've put all this effort out, 24 miles to get to where he's at. Surely he'll do what I tell him to do. And Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh, blocking it. Go back home. (laughs) Go your way. Your son's going to be okay. Because really, this gentleman was in an uncontrollable crisis. And how dare he think he could control God? Think about it. He was in a crisis that he could not control. There was no way he had a handle on it. So how in the world could he tell God what to do with his miracle? He couldn't do it. When we're going to realize sometimes we got in our mind and we think how the chess pieces are going to go and how God's going to work it out. When God says, how do you, what are you doing? You can't even control the crisis you're in. And how do you, you expect for me to do what you're telling me to do? Just let go of it and let me handle it. He will expand your faith by beginning your process and blocking your process and your thoughts, but then also he'll blind the process. Look at what he said in verse 50. Jesus saith unto him, go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him and he went his way. He believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him and he went his way. You know what Jesus was doing? He said, go back home. 
I'm giving you a miracle, but I'm just not showing you how I'm going to do it. Because that's what faith is all about. Real faith is a blind walk home. This gentleman, when he walked back home, all he had was a word from God. (sighs) You talk about getting your faith expanded. This gentleman went from just knowing about God to coming to God. And now he's believing the word of God that his son's going to be okay. And he walks back home with blind faith. A blind walk, not knowing how he was going to do it, but yet he believed that God was going to do it. Oh, isn't that what faith is all about? Isn't that what faith, and listen, really, when we think about real miracles, miracles are simply this. Miracles, we are the beneficiary of God's secrets. That's what a miracle is. We are the beneficiary of God's secrets. Because most of the time, he gives us a word and he tells us it will happen. But most of the time he doesn't show us how he's going to do it. We know he's going to do it, but we just don't know how he's going to do it. I know the what, but I don't know the how. But I still believe he can. Well, that was good. I know the what, but I don't know the how, but I still believe he can. That's what faith is all about. That's all that nobleman had. All he had was a word from God. He knew the what, but he didn't know the how, but he still believed that Jesus was going to do it. John chapter two, he took the water, turned it into wine. I know he did it, but I don't know how he done it, but I still believe he did it. Amen. John chapter five, he took five loaves, two fishes, and he turned it into a smorgasbord to feed 15,000 people. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. I don't need to know how he did it. Thank God I believe he did it. In John chapter 11, there was a man by the name of Lazarus that was dead. Somewhere between Lazarus come forth and that tomb, Lazarus got up. I know he did it. I don't know how he did it, but I believe he did. That's what faith is all about. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You are the beneficiary of God's secrets. Hallelujah. Look at this. Look at this. He goes back home. And somewhere along the line, 10 or 12 miles in, here comes his servants. He said, hey, guess what? Thy son liveth. Wait, Wait a minute. Those words are familiar. Verse 51, he said, his servants met him and told him saying, thy son liveth. Go back up to verse 50. Jesus saith unto him, go thy way, thy son liveth. Wait a minute. Jesus said, thy son liveth. His servants told him, thy son liveth. Is that not the same words? Were the servants with Jesus when he told them that? God will always confirm his word. They weren't around when Jesus said it. But hallelujah, 
That man knew it was Jesus because they said, they said the exact same words that Jesus said. He's like, funny, I just heard those words from a man named Jesus and you're telling me that he did it. When did he do it? I'll tell you when he did it. He did it about one o'clock yesterday. Well, that's funny because that's when he said, my son was going to live. Hallelujah. And his whole house believed because Jesus could do what no one else could do. Somebody say praise the Lord. Glory to God. God will always confirm his word. He will always confirm his word. Finally, I want you to notice this. Verse 53. Up until verse 53, the gentleman is always referred to as a nobleman. But now in verse 53, it says, so the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said unto him, thy son liveth and himself believe in his whole house. This story started by a man trying to save his dying son. But the story ended with a dying son saving a father. If it wasn't for the dying son. If it wasn't for the dying son. This man would have never believed. You're the cream of the crop. I shouldn't have to explain it. If it wasn't for the dying son. This man would have never been saved. <laughs> and I'm so thankful that the darling son of our Lord and Savior, of our God in heaven, the darling son went to a cross and died for me, a father that could be saved because I believed on who he was and what he can do. And if you're saved tonight, the only way you were and are is because of the dying son. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord.